Hey, it's Greg Brady. Thanks for checking out the Toronto Today podcast. It is Monday, January 31st, the final day of the first month of 2022. We should be celebrating like it's New Year's Eve. We should, we should be. We're reopening in the province, but we've got Ottawa to talk about and the uh, Freedom Convoy protest that drew a ton of attention. Obviously, it dominated attention, and uh, we have our thoughts on it, and many of our guests do as well on today's show. It's Toronto Today. It's Monday, January 31st. Goodbye, January, and it starts now. Um, let me start here, though, and I want to get to the uh, reopening in Ontario also. That's a big thing today. We've had schools going for two and a half weeks, uh, but there will be new options. Uh, what's his name? My youngest son has a soccer practice tonight at 830 until 10 o'clock. We hope it's only until 10 o'clock, um, but uh, but it's good. It's good. I'm happy about that. And I'm also going to not feel grateful about it. There's happy and then there's grateful. And I think there's a difference between the two. But let me start here. I didn't want to weigh in too much on the weekend about what I was seeing on my television, hearing on my radio, including right here on 640 uh, Toronto. Um, I listened to a good chunk of Roy Green's show Saturday. Um, just to let you know, we were ready. Alex Pearson's going to join me at the start of next hour. And Alex and I, uh, along with some other uh, willing uh, and able, it's equal parts of both, volunteers, we're, I'm sure we would have uh, we would have made them give us a vacation day later in the summer. Like, oh, my July 28th on a Wednesday. Who wants to work then? We would have asked for a vacation. Um, but, and, they, and they probably knew that, too. They're, uh, you know, handy, handy in uh, in management with with negotiation. I was they were ready and we were ready, uh, but we were ready to work on Saturday. We didn't know if this would all kick off a little bit. And uh, I love doing the weekend stuff. Um I remember uh, Donald Trump got COVID, right? Right before the U.S. election. I said, please let me come in live on Saturday morning. And uh, and they did so because you don't know, right? Like three days earlier, you're like 76-year-old man, uh, eats fast food nonstop. His heart rate should be accelerated. He's had three divorces. Three, two, four. I don't know. Um, but it's multiple. Um, surely this is something to watch here. Uh, but this weekend, we were ready for anything. Did we get anything? I'm not so sure, but I want to talk about what we saw in Ottawa and where we go from here. We need to pick up the pieces and the pieces all haven't settled yet in the city of Ottawa and, and across our country with reaction to it. Okay. Um, Ottawa feels you might've heard it right before the six o'clock news. And if you didn't, um, we played a clip from the West block uh, with Eric Sorensen and for Mercedes Stevenson. And he was interviewing Omar Al-Gabra, the Ministry of Transport, Minister of Transport. You could you could hear Al-Gabra fine. Um, I'm a bit of an audio nerd, so like I can tell when, oh, somebody's got a dog in the background or someone's outside walking by the road and they're, you know, doing a, an update or a report or something. You couldn't help but hear the trucks. There haven't been too many TV reporters able to do reports this weekend without hearing the trucks. So they are there. And people in Ottawa are getting used to it. I know there's a lot of people. The mayor of Jim Watson, I want to play you a clip from in a, in a minute or two. But the concept was, well, okay, you know what? Um, many people came. Uh, it was peaceful. Uh, you've made your point. It's time to go. That's not how they feel. So I'm not telling you, again, I like to do this on the show and make this clear. I'm not telling you what I hope happens or what should happen. I'm telling you what the rules are. I don't make them, but these are the rules. The rules are the truckers are going to leave when they decide it's time to leave unless something else materializes. Like we're seeing that, right? We're understanding that this wasn't a four or five hour demonstration. They're not coming. This isn't your erstwhile uh, brother or sister or brother-in-law or sister-in-law coming for lunch. They pack bags. They're moving in. They're Matt Foley from Saturday Night Live. They don't want to live in a van down by the river anymore. And by the way, some of these, uh, I looked inside some of the, the truck cabs and uh, pretty good conditions, to be perfectly honest. They got a lot of they got a lot of stuff in there. One dude packed food for a month, he said. He's got fuel. He's got, uh, he can run his truck. He doesn't have to, you know, drive three, four hours. He's got food for a month. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be there a month, but I bet you very few people have uh, left today that intended on staying longer than the weekend. For some people, yeah, they're back at their jobs today. Others, 
I heard from so many people in Ottawa last night. Let me share you a quick text, and then I want you to hear uh, some of the uh, audio from over the weekend that I think is really interesting, including sort of a before and after with Pierre Polyev, the uh, shadow finance critic for the Conservative Party. Um, but uh, I've, I know people that are five kilometers from Parliament. 11.30 last night, nonstop honking. Um, they were wondering... They, they here's what he writes. We can hear the honking the second we step outside. We're five kilometers from Parliament Hill. But I wonder if there is honking near the governor generals and the prime ministers much closer. They're also going up and down the Vanier Parkway. If you know Ottawa well, that's the way uh, in and out. Uh, you go to that uh, baseball stadium near there. You're off right off the Vanier Parkway, not where the senators play. That's basically in Peterborough. Nobody knows why they put that arena there. And that's another story. Um, they're up and down the Vanier Parkway. And Ottawa police have told downtown workers work from home tomorrow and that area schools may be closed, but they're asking city residents to avoid the area while they ask truckers to leave. Now, um, do most kids work or do most people work downtown and live slightly outside of that Parliament Hill area? Yes, but uh, but it's a very much Ottawa is very much a drive your kid to school neighborhood. Sometimes you can walk like nothing's universal. My kids walk to school, but our school is like 80% walking. Most people and I know it's 80% drop your kid off. There's roundabouts, right? And that's how that works. I want you to hear, I got thoughts on uh, Justin Trudeau, but I wanted to give you the text line as well. Uh, 289-975-1640 for your reaction to what you saw. There's a lot of fingers being pointed. A lot of people disappointed by some of the imagery and the actions. Uh, that we saw over the weekend. I want to get your feel for it. Again, a lot of dissent. And this is Canada right now. And maybe this hit home for some people, but how much dissent we have together, I'm actually not surprised. There's nothing that shocked me about the weekend. Nothing stunned me. Nothing shocked me. Nothing. There were things that enraged me. Um, and we're going to get into those as the morning continues. So if you have those, 289-975-1640, and we'll do your phone calls after 8 o'clock. It was a bit of a dangerous game for some members of the Canadian, uh, the Conservative Party of Canada, to play by playing footsie with the truckers. I don't think Pierre Polyev did this, but a couple MPs really um, had to walk back, like like Homer Simpson backing into the shrubbery. They're... Um, their support for the convoy because they were out there. And then all of a sudden, oh, there's somebody uh, with Nazi flag imagery behind me. Oops. Honestly, like there had to be better calls than that, than being wrong place at the right time for the cameras, uh, video or otherwise, to capture you. Here's Pierre Polyev on Saturday. I think this is really, uh, let's do the extremist groups clip first. This is what he said on Friday. And he wasn't 100% wrong, but Saturday was a lot more measured. But this comment on Friday got a lot of people interested because he got caught on the, he, he was uh, he was stopped, I should say. It's nothing negative by media. And they asked him what he thought about, you know, some people of some, uh, with some unsavory messaging showing up in Ottawa. Here's what he said. When there's a left-wing protest on Parliament Hill, we don't see the liberal media going through every single name of the people who attends to try and find one person that they can disparage the whole group with. Um, You know, we don't see... uh, CBC, for example, has been accused by its own employees of systemic racism. And yet, we don't see the media here generalize that everyone who works at the CBC is a racist. Whenever you have um, five or 10,000 people who are part of any group, you're bound to have a number who have or say unacceptable things. Yeah, it's a little more than that. And I think Pierre might want that back. I think he might. Then again, every party and the governing party is no different. Plays some hit songs to their base. They do. They get on stage. You're a familiar act. You give the audience what they want. You give the people what they want to hear. NDP is no different and the liberals are no different, but sometimes it is about the company you keep. And Pierre Polyev, this sounded better on Saturday. He's on an overpass, trucks are going by, and he had this message for Canadians. This is a rally for truckers, but it's also a rally for the 60% of Canadians who say they worry they can't afford food 
It's for the 60-year-old small businessman who spent his entire adult life building up an enterprise and watching it wiped out. It's for the depressed 14-year-old who's been locked out of school. It's for the families that can't take it anymore. It's for the people who want to stand up and speak for their freedoms. It's for all those that our government and our media have insulted and left behind. Okay, um, yeah, there's there's media working on all sides of the equation. There's stories that go in the Toronto Star that wouldn't go in the Toronto Sun. There's stories that go in the Toronto Sun that wouldn't go in the Toronto Star. I read them all. I read it all, and I take what I get, and I glean what I can from all of it. By the way, if I never hear another truck horn again, I'll be thrilled. These are like those Vuvuzelas at the at the World Cup when it was in South Africa in 2010. You couldn't even watch the game with the sound up. Um, apologies to truckers. I realize you have horns, but please never use them, um, you know, uh, liberally, no pun intended again. Now, Jim Watson's the mayor of Ottawa. He's got a mess on his hands. I'm going to get to the prime minister this segment and finish with a thought on the prime minister to see if you agree with me. But Jim Watson talked about this. We saw a woman dancing on the tomb of the unknown soldier. We saw the Terry Fox statue desecrated on two different days. Two different days. It's not like they suddenly put a security guard near it and said, don't do this again. This means a lot to a lot of people. This digs at people right in the chest. But Jim Watson said this about the protesters on the weekend. Uh, Anti-mask signs and upside down Canadian flags at the Terry Fox statue. This kind of behavior sets back any uh, positive movements or or, uh, support that this rally might have. He's got a lot on his plate, uh, the mayor of Ottawa. This is their city. I think we have a different reaction. Boy, you you talk about uh, NIMBY, not in my backyard, in Toronto. We're feeling this right now. You wouldn't want this in your city right now. It's not about these people, those people. You wouldn't want the gridlock that's there. You wouldn't want an element of fear. And that brings me to Prime Minister Trudeau. It is an absolute abdication of duty for the leader of this country not to step in front of a camera at any point from Saturday at sunrise to Sunday at sunset. It is. It was dangerous to let this fester. It was dangerous not to get in front of a camera and say something the entire weekend. I can't think of a world leader that would have let that opportunity go by. And I know, and you know, that in the United States, if this was happening in Washington, D.C., you'd hear from Joe Biden. If this was happening in London, England, you would hear from Boris Johnson, Paris, France, Emmanuel Macron. And you have quite frequently. So I can't blast MPs. I can blast them for different reasons. I can't blast MPs that were out there mixing with the crowds and not say this about Justin Trudeau. And I think many liberals realize this. And I'll tell you something else. I think liberal MPs realize they're cooked. This isn't January 6th. January 6th didn't happen, but that was a departing president, a crooked departing president doing illegal things to organize a coup to attack the Capitol. This is a sitting prime minister not doing those things. You can have your opinion of him. You had a chance to vote for him or not vote for him twice in the last two and a half years, twice. So you can have your thoughts on Justin Trudeau, but I do not believe that this weekend helped his ability to move forward for year upon year as prime minister of this country. And I know I'm hearing from liberals that just in the last 48 hours now feel a lot more politically homeless than they did. And I think this is just my thought. It's a gut instinct, but it's not based on nothing. There are liberal MPs who know that they won't be able to move an agenda forward with this prime minister a year from now, maybe 18 months from now at max. This did irreparable damage to Justin Trudeau this weekend and his ability to govern and lead Canada, period. I watched live Facebook feed of Convoy and witnessed live citizens, families, kids holding thank you, freedom signs, waving Canadian flags and cheering. That's what I've seen. I didn't search internet for trending uh, and then a hashtag after to propagate a negative undertone and continue reporting talking points. But Twitter is more important than live coverage. Another great story. I might have mentioned to you last week. I know I did off the air, and we talk about it as a show and as a collective here. Uh, we've got very engaged. We're all engaged on this show. We we, we want to build it to something. We have goals. We have uh, standards. Some mornings I know you're like, do you, does your show have standards? It does. 
and um and and management too really engaged on what we can what we can make this because we see opportunities here uh with you the listener it's the people's show in toronto that's how i really really feel about it um and many of you have spoken out to me and said there was a lot more than just um white people there over the weekend that's what i kept hearing and uh this seek trucker was interviewed by a couple television networks i'm i apologize i'm picking this audio up i wanted to make sure that it wasn't from Anything, um, I'm going to use the word, the F word, too fringe on on the way, way left or the way, way right. I don't think that it was, but here's a uh, a trucker who identifies as a, a Sikh with his family. The guy comes in, interviews him in the cab, and he had, it's hard to hear. I know there's a lot of honking, but just crane your ear because I think it's important. I'm going to get to Alex Pearson in just a sec. This is what this trucker said. We came here yesterday for our freedom and for our rights. We should have a choice, choose whatever good for me, my kids. Yes. That's all we are here for. What, what do you hope to see accomplished at the end? At the end, I think whatever we want, we'll take it from here. Okay. And you know, there's been a lot has been going around from different media, even different political leaders yeah. are pushing a narrative that's saying race baiting. There's, uh, in fact, there's a lot of name calling even white supremacy. What has been your take on this whole convoy? So that guy's like, no, I, I don't see the racism. Let me say this also quickly before we get to Alex about the media. Um, I'm not, I'm probably kind of compromised in commenting on it myself, but I'll tell you what people are telling me who are outside the media. Cause we do this. And sometimes we think, is that just interesting to us? Is it like when I worked in sports media, is that talking about whether Tony Romo is a good commentator? Is that is that just interesting to us or do people just watch the games and they go, I don't care who's on the radio or on the television. But this is what people tell me. They're like, Greg, if um, I understand it, if a reporter feels threatened, Shauna Hunt's a friend of mine and she works at uh, City, right? And she had those that guy come up and say that thing into her microphone. She was outside a Toronto FC match. And that guy lost his job. And she came into studio with us um, once upon a time and talked about that. That's terrible. We got to amplify that and make sure that that's not allowed and that's not encouraged. And nobody working in the field should feel threatened physically. Nobody should get things thrown at them. There were isolated incidents of that. But the people talking to me say, Greg, you're in the business. Um, this is what they're telling me. The media made themselves a little too much of the story this weekend. That's what they're telling me, okay? Um, because it's the, the idea was, let's get the most whacked out person to say the most whacked out thing, and let's amplify it. And I've talked about that with fear of COVID, COVID before. Let's find the most scared person on the street who wears a shield and three masks and, and, uh, has, uh, and found a way to get five vaccines, and they still will keep their kids hanging out in the basement on virtual school for the next half decade. I don't know if that's true, but I'm telling you that that's the temperature out there. I heard a lot of people saying, is the media making this more of a story? Nobody should feel threatened. Nobody should be touched. Nobody should be intimidated. No, no, no. We'll talk about those things. But but there is that aspect out there that the the thought is the media was was playing up some aspects of that. I can't comment on it. I watched everything I could on the weekend. And uh, I just don't, I'm almost like, it's like a conflict of interest, really, to talk about in a way. Our next guest will host On Point tonight at 6.30, right here on this station and across uh, the Ontario uh, Chorus Radio Network in Hamilton on 900 CHML and 980 CFPL in London. She is Alex Pearson. Give me your thoughts on how do you even compress it, right? And how do we even fit all this in in three hours, three and a half hours of a radio show? It's not that easy to do. What was your thought? What, what are your biggest thoughts from the weekend takeaway? Um, I still think I'm taking it away. Um, I don't think the story is done and it hasn't been told. I'll be very interested to see what the prime minister has to say about it, you know, whether he acts leaderly or if he, you know, tries to weaponize his attacks and further agitate. Um, I think by and large, look, there was no January 6th, um, you know, attack. There was no violence. There were some ugly things that I didn't like to see. You're not going to get um, much praise from me when you, you know, disrespect uh, the tomb of the unknown soldier. I mean, if you want to talk about freedom fighters, the men and women um, behind that, those are the freedom fighters. Guys like Randy Hilliard, not a freedom fighter. He was an agitator. 
uh, you know, I don't like to see a Nazi flag anywhere. I don't like to certainly see um, any kind of flag that is uh, that is a racist. Ha- having said that, I don't like to see churches burn. I don't like to see railroads blocked. I don't like to see Sir John A. Macdonald taken down. I don't like to see any of our history and or landmarks um, destroyed. So I think for all like the pearl clutching on the left, I think, you know, let's just be not quite so selective with our outrage. By and large, they didn't behave as badly as we had all been told they were going to. Um, but the story, again, remains untold. Where does it go from here? I saw a video of truckers um, cleaning up garbage yep. and uh, and okay, working to make that. sure, uh, yeah, the, the, the streets were safe and commiserating um, certainly with each other. I, I agree with you because I, I thought politicians were too quick on Sunday afternoon of all, of all stripes and colors to say, okay, you've made your point. Thanks for coming. They're not done. They're not leaving. Many of these people brought a month worth of fuel and supplies and like they packed. This wasn't a three hour picnic. They're coming to live with you for, for the foreseeable future. And I think Ottawa residents this morning as they wake up, Alex, and they're getting told, don't come to work, leave your kids home from school. They're realizing that this morning. Well, yeah, these guys aren't going anywhere. I mean, a lot of them have lost their jobs they, they, and, and they live in their trucks and they can live very comfortably in their trucks for a long time. But I would say to those people, OK, were you telling the blockades to wrap it up after a weekend? Because I remember that thing went on for weeks and Idle No More and all these other big protests that we've seen where, you know, um, I mean, the prime minister didn't say one word about the blockades, which shut down, you know, the economy for a good long time. Again, if it's good for the left, it'll be good for the right. As long as this thing doesn't get violent, then I think people are going to have to, you know, bear with this. I mean, I I don't think they're going to win a lot of friends honking their horns all hours of the night. Having said that, um, there are a lot of people in Ottawa who have not missed a paycheck, who have not missed or lost a job. There are a lot of people in government jobs that have lived very comfortably for the last two years. There is real anger in this country. Um, If you step back from it, Greg, I think the biggest mistake we make here is by brushing this off and saying, to hell with these people. There is real anger in this country and there's real division. And a lot of it has been caused by the politicians themselves who have weaponized this pandemic, who have made policies that play to the base and don't capture the rest of us. We're not all in this together. That is a line of baloney. And, and I think the prime minister should step back and say, okay, what part of this did I play a role in? You know, he's the guy who said, let's not base and judge, you know, the, the greater good on, on the few or the fringe. Well, that's not what he said with this group. He painted an entire group of people and, and people across this country as some fringe minority who have, you know, awful thoughts, you know. And, and frankly, the, the Ottawa rally wasn't the only one. There were massive rallies in other cities across this country. And I don't know about you, but I don't remember the last time I've seen nuns and children and all these other people lining Canadian highways and bridges. You don't just call that anger and, and just brush it off because the same amount of people he's brushing off is the same amount of people who elected him. He seems to forget it- that. It's the biggest movement I've ever seen in this country. And and, and I know people want to squabble about the numbers. It, it, it's the biggest. By the way, Alex Pearson's joining us on Toronto today. Uh, she'll be uh, hosting On Point tonight uh, between 6.30 and 9 o'clock, right after Global News at 6. I, I, I know you'll talk about the prime minister on the show tonight. I'm disappointed that he didn't find a way, get in front of a camera. I can't think of a world leader that wouldn't do that. That said, I know you'll cover that tonight. Did some conservative MPs... Um, you know, uh, burn themselves by being out there. Michael Cooper, well-documented, talking to a TV crew with a person with a swastika behind him. Did Was was Aaron O'Toole out there too much? Were other MPs out there too much in embracing what, what we saw over the weekend? Well, Aaron T- O'Toole did not go out there. He went um, on Friday, I think, earlier, and kind of was in a back alley talking to a couple of truck drivers. And he got his photo, and then he removed himself. The risk politicians take when they go into these things is getting their picture taken with a nefarious uh, character or someone with a ill, you know, you know, awful sign. I mean, um, Mayor Miller in Toronto was pictured with a rapist. You had Mayor Lastman shaking the hands with the the um 
uh, Hell's Angels, you're always going to take that risk if you go into a crowd and then you have to wear it. And I look, I say this to all the politicians. I say it to the left. I say it to the right. Back off on this thing. There's real anger. And the last thing we need right now is gasoline. What these people need to do is go back to the ivory towers and sit down and say, why is this happening? Oh, it's happening because the last two years we gave vacuous, hollow talking points. And what we did was we took children's education and their childhoods away. We took small businesses away. We, you know, destroyed parts of the economy. We caused real despair. Oh, yeah. And that mental health illness because we weren't prepared, because we didn't do our jobs, because we didn't heed the warnings of SARS, because we didn't get our crap done. You know, what did you do? to cause this kind of anger? And what are you going to do to get us out of it? Because this isn't going to go away, Greg. I mean, people are exhausted. And it's not and just something that you brush away. I want to, it, it, it localizes it a little bit, but I still think it's it's at the national level. I, I've i never spoken to more people, Alex, that feel yeah. more politically homeless. I never yeah. have. And I think it finally down, dawned on some people this weekend. I can't tell you how many people in Ontario are saying, the conservative party's locking us down harder than anywhere, anywhere on the continent. And the opposition parties never say you should open this or open that. So they're lost. Um, they, in June. they don't know where to go. Well, no, I mean, you have Andrea Horvath, who was for vaccine mandates, and then she reversed the next day. Um, you got Steve Del Duca out there wagging his finger. Well, his government was a huge part of why our hospital ICU capacity issues are what they are. They didn't spend. And then you got Doug Ford, who has completely betrayed his base of small business and locked everybody down. Shame on all of them. We are locked down because of government failure. That is not just the last couple of months. We're locked down because governments didn't do their damn job. And and frankly, shame on them. And and so you're right. I, I, who would I vote for today? I haven't a clue because I don't see any leadership. I don't know where, um, you know, this thing is going. They didn't put the fix. They built the Titanic. They didn't build the boat. And we paid for the boats. And so I think collectively people kind of have to start looking beneath all the spin we get. Why are we here? We're here because our hospitals, which we pay billions and billions and billions for, can't operate because governments of all stripes never bothered to make the investments. And we're squabbling over giving nurses a couple of bucks raise. And yet we've blown billions on trying to fix mistakes. And, and I think once we get past this in the next couple of years, it's going to take some time. There's going to be a reckoning. But, you know, again, I think people have to ask, why are we locking down? And that comes back to government failure. And, and I just think all of them wear the blame for this. And yet, well, we gotta, and, that. and the Canadian people are those who have paid the greatest price. And we got a lot of hospital executives making 400, 500 grand, haven't lost a pen. And, and they're, they're, they'll be heroes because they order skip the dishes tonight and make somebody bring their food to them uh, and, and bring them an Amazon package. You had years to get ready for this. The recommendations were all written for you. I covered all the SARS commissions and inquiries yeah. and all this stuff. They were told step by step, here's what you have to do. And no one did it. You know, you had the liberal government out spending all its money on green energy, all these things. Kathleen Wynne herself admitted in a recent McLean's article that they didn't spend in healthcare as they needed because they were spending to balance the books or whatever, which never got balanced. There were all these things they were supposed to do. They didn't do it. At the beginning of this pandemic, all we heard about was, well, we had SARS. Don't worry. We've got this. It's low risk. And then Trudeau jets off to Africa to get a failed security seat. Meanwhile, we've got this virus coming at us. We'll be told we're ready and all this PPE there. And then, well, you know, they open the cupboard and go, oops. Well, we're not as ready as we thought, but we're all in this together. It's like, come on, guys. It went from talking point to talking point. It's crazy. Alex Pearson will have On Point tonight at 6.30 this evening. You told me you're not a morning person. You brought it this morning. If the morning Mornings are your jam. We're, we'll do this at 5.35 a.m. Uh, next time. We'll, we'll, try, we'll uh, go a couple hours even earlier than this. Why don't we just do a surprise Alex segment? Just, what do you get? I don't know what, what's going on. <laughs> uh, we'll be listening tonight. Thanks, Alex. Cheers. Bye. If you're wondering if um, Donald Trump weighed in and had a rally on the weekend and talked about the Canadian truckers, he went there. Here it is. The Canadian truckers, you've been reading about it. 
who are resisting bravely these lawless mandates are doing more to defend American freedom than our own leaders by far. And we want those great Canadian truckers to know that we are with them all the way. They are. They've really shown something. It's time to move on. Time to move on. He doesn't think so. I mean, for him, the people told him that last November, but whatever. Um, Cincinnati Bengals, can, can I bring you some joy before we bring Eric Eiffel, who will spread joy to all of us? Uh, here's the Bengals. The Bengals went on the road and beat Patty Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs at Arrowhead Stadium with that wolf or whatever and that racist logo thing. It is. Why are we calling that Washington and not Kansas City with their imagery? So here's the kick. The Bengals are going to the Super Bowl. Just enjoy your breakfast with some joy here. The kick is up. Yeah. It yeah. is good. Oh. Coffin nails. Bam, bam, bam. That is unbelievable. The Cincinnati Bengals come from behind on the road. Unbelievable, Dan. It is no fluke. <laughs> it is a fact. The Cincinnati Bengals are headed to Super Bowl 56. Bengals Rams, uh, 13 days from now. You know, last time the Bengals went to the Super Bowl, I was in 11th grade. I don't even want to tell you what TV shows I was watching, music I was listening to, the size of my pants, the pimples. I God, uh, Erica Eiffel joins me right now. I know you got to be happy. You, you're, you're an underdog believer. You had to love it for the great people of Cincinnati, Ohio, that swing state in the Midwest. Well, I didn't give them a snowball stats in hell. And what's the what's halftime here? I'm like, I've got it right. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna open my new air fryer is what I said. I cut, oh, <laughs> I love the air fryers. Good for you. I just listen, I powered that thing up yesterday. I have thoughts. Anyway, um and then some kind gentleman texted me and was like, Are you watching the game? And I and I was like, Should I? And he's like, Yeah, it's tied. And so, you know, then I turned it on, and I was like, honestly, what happened? I, I missed the third quarter. I apologize. But, you know, I really didn't give them a shot. And especially at Arrowhead. And speaking of the name, I am on that, by the way. Yeah, the Chiefs, what is that? And there's people it, that wear headdresses yeah, there? Arrowhead Why is that allowed? Stadium? I, I didn't even want to tweet Arrowhead Stadium. I, I was like, ugh. It just felt wrong. Anyway. <laughs> the Chiefs will get there soon, I'm sure, with that name. But anyway, uh, yeah, and the yeah. tomahawk chop, have you seen that? I it's, think, yeah. <laughs> it's still have yeah, Jane Fon and Ted Turner aren't even together anymore, and and uh, it, it still gets done yeah. in, in the ATL. We know that. Um, yeah. We know that. All right, you're in Ottawa. Um, give yeah. us the lay of the land, and, and let, let's talk about your perspective on the entire weekend. You always have thoughts. Give me, uh, go do. as long as you want. Oh, really? Okay. Well, we're then uh, at nine, nine o'clock. We got to go, but yeah, within reason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I didn't venture downtown this weekend um, because you know, I, I, look, I knew I figured that this was going to turn white supremacy real fast. And before they got here, when everybody was talking about anti-vaccination and the truckers and so on. And, I mean, I think that some of these anti-vax rallies are actually cover for neo-Nazis, to be honest. I think neo-Nazis and white supremacy and the far right has latched on to these kind of um, social flashpoints and will use those to infiltrate. And what does, and the problem is, is that we have a media that doesn't really interrogate that. Um, these founders or these these the people who um the organizers were already spewing some hate-filled stuff and you know what i found is we have a media that just you know basically reported their speaking points with zero interrogation whatsoever i mean we've seen this before we've seen with the anti-lockdown protests the anti-lockdown protesters, the anti-vax protesters, um, those, you know, those two groups are pretty much very much in line with um, white sitters and 
and Brexiters and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And these flashpoints of the of of division of the post World War II sort of liberal democratic era is really where they kind of infiltrate. And you know when what I saw, um, even though I wasn't down there, I, mm-hmm. we had a couple of trucks go by my neighborhood. Um, or the main streets of in my neighborhood, you know, a lot of honking and so on and so forth. Um, we have to ask ourselves as a society uh, what we're willing to tolerate, because the problem with the far right is eventually they get violent. And, you know, it's, it's, I, I feel like this country, honestly, is starting to come apart at the seams. I agree. And, we, uh, yeah. But can can I make the case that there wasn't violence yet? Are you worried there still will be some? Uh, it depends on what you call violence. I mean. Intimidation, I, I think there is. I think some people violence? feel some people feel locked in their homes because they can't go anywhere uh, in the noise and downtown area. Right, yeah, I, right. I get that. But I mean, what I'm what I'm concerned about is not necessarily the violence of each particular piece. So each particular protest has its own, I guess, you know, point in whatever they're trying to do, which is basically try to infiltrate our political systems, which apparently they don't even need to infiltrate because you have Aaron O'Toole opening the door and say, come on in. And that's what was wild was that you saw um, Canadian flags with F. Trudeau or you mm-hmm. saw flags with F. Trudeau. You saw... Um, flag, you saw like Confederate flags. There were Nazi symbols being drawn all over the place. I mean, if you are of color, if you're Jewish, if you're, if you're um, LGBTQ or whatever, those things are harmful to you. Right. And so the thing about it is, is that, the violence that I am concerned about is that I think that this stuff is more coordinated that we give it credit for. I think that there is a global coordination of right-wing um, advocacy, right-wing violence, right, just right-wing um, communities and, and that, are, that are honestly trying to infiltrate our systems. And so, it, like, the violence I'm concerned about comes to the January 6th moment more than these individual protests. Do you, do you see I see. I see. Yeah. 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 Um, let, let me reset. I'm talking to Eric Eiffel, of course, from the bad and bitchy podcast. I, I really want to get your read on, on the statue thing, the unknown soldier, the tomb, Terry Fox. Um, look, am I enraged about it? Yes. But I'm also a lot of people Lean more left to center to me, Erica. We're all I, I smell a little hypocrisy here and there, not from you, but it's like, oh, because we've been pulling down statues for a few years now. And it's like, take it easy, snowflake. It's just a statue. I want them to be matter about clean drinking water. I want them to be matter about violence in communities. I want them to be matter when, uh, you know, a pedophile gets a two year jail. I want them to be matter about real things. And we are stuck. Do you feel we're stuck in? Raise this flag. Wear this T-shirt. Do I want practical things to happen? So, do what was your yeah, what was your thought on the desec- the so-called desecration of monuments and statues? I mean, I guess I, I I'm not. I, I, Terry, the, <laughs> I did notice that every like <laughs> everybody who is of a certain class, okay, was upset at this Terry Fox statue desecration. How dare they? And all of a sudden, that was what changed their minds. And I thought that that was terrible. It was terrible. It was hollow. The things that we live with every day, the injustices that people go through every day, I don't understand why there isn't more rage about that. Exactly. Clean drinking water, taking indigenous kids to court. Like, all of that is disgusting. To be honest, I don't know. Can we talk about Aaron O'Toole? What are the conservatives doing? What are they doing? I understand that they're trying to stop the bleeding 
from from the right and the PPC. But this is the second time in like three years that they've been engaged in an alt-right rally. Because if you remember, um, the Yellow Vesters, United Reroll, came into Ottawa around this time in 2019. Also, can we talk about how this weekend was the five-year anniversary of the Moss shooting? I mean, right. on Saturday, yeah. Where was where was all that? Where was all that coverage? And and the thing is, is that I don't think that they didn't know that. I think that's exactly why they came on this weekend. You know, and and that's my thing. I don't think that we should just be dismissing these people as you know. Um, you know, people who are who are irrational and out of their minds, they're coordinated. But anyway, going back to conservatives, I don't understand what they're trying to tell Canadians. And, you know, the people that they, they are, that's hypocrisy. Because the people that they choose to listen to are always on the right side, a little too right for, you know, to be productive. And, uh, you know, you can't meet with people who are spewing these 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 this hate and and these flags and swastikas and stuff and say that you're listening to both sides. Some things don't have both sides. No, you can't. You can't. You can't. Do you find you find you have friends that tell you they feel it's almost been a running theme of the show this morning, so I'll ask it, that it just feel as politically homeless as they've ever felt. That that they might have economic conservative principles they might have you know um you know court court of law justice principles and you're right they can't go there and we've got people that might feel liberal and want this and that and they don't like the performative action you've been critical of Jugmeet Singh. you've been critical of justin trudeau where was he always so we got a lot of politically homeless people amongst us right now we do i agree and you know what thank goodness because the party system was 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 holding us back this adherence to parties and you're always going to vote for the same party. I'm over it. It's it's, I don't, I don't think it's conducive to democracy, to be honest. Um, I don't, where was Jagmeet Singh anyway? That's a very good question. I don't remember hearing him speak much on this, this weekend. He might've still like been talking was, to his brother who donated the $13,000 for the convoy and <laughs> oh, then pulled it 13 grand. You got oh thirteen grand in your back pocket oh, right. to, no, to donate to anybody? Wow, that's true. The brother-in-law donated to the convoy. Oh, no yeah. wonder he wasn't saying anything. Well, there you go. Well, and then he asked for it back on Friday, and I'm like, it's a little late. Like, it's, it's late for that, maybe? I know I know you wanted him to donate the rocking chair that his wife got. He should have donated the rocking chair. <laughs> he should have been like, here, have a seat. <laughs> Why did he do TikToks about that? Um, doing phenomenal work and giving great detail and context on the ground. Uh, and you can read his work, by the way, at uh, thedailybeast.com uh, is Justin Ling. Justin, thanks very much for making the time for me this morning. I really appreciate it. And uh, and thanks for doing what you were doing all weekend, keeping us updated. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. Tell me what Ottawa uh, feels and looks like this morning. I have a neighbor, uh, or sorry, a friend who's a neighbor towards uh, Parliament Hill, lives about 5K away. He says the truck horns were incessant. Uh, he was expecting maybe they'd keep their daughters home from school. What's the feel on the ground in Ottawa this morning? I have to confess, I, I went back home uh, to Montreal yesterday evening in part because, yeah, the trucks are incessant. Uh, being downtown Ottawa is a real pain, to be totally honest. I mean, as of 8 a.m. yesterday morning, all of the truck horns were going. Um, you know, they don't stop until midnight-ish. Sometimes later, there's fireworks, music, and so on. I mean, it, it has a vibe of a, of a party, to be totally honest. I mean, one of the uh, speakers on stage yesterday called it Canada's largest block party. While it's by no means Canada's largest, it certainly is a pretty big one. Um, you know, there's videos emerging of some of the protesters getting, you know, ungloriously drunk. Um, you know, around midnight and, 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 and partying in the streets. Um, but as it, as it stands, it is, it is pretty jovial. It is pretty, you know, happy-go-lucky. There's not been a lot of, uh, not been a lot of conflict or problems for police to deal with. There's been some, but not a ton. Um, so, you know, the mood is pretty upbeat. 
but also this is only day three, really, of what they're promising will be weeks or months of an occupation. So we don't know how the mood is going to change over the next little while. Certainly, yeah. um, I can't imagine things getting better. These folks want to end all restrictions and the removal of the government, and they're not going to get it. So I don't know how they're going to feel in a month from now when they're still doing this, and it feels kind of futile. Does anything squeeze tighter on on the city? You mentioned that the police were doing a good job, and you, you noted that over the weekend. And I agree with, with what you say. I'm just wondering now that people were, um, it's cold, it's terrible, Ottawa sucks in January. All of this has sucked for all of us in a province of 15 million people all month. But when they actually need to go from point A to point B, potentially, and they can't, does that does that tighten the screws at all on Mayor Watson, on anybody with the federal guy? I, I agree with you. I don't know what the end game is, but they're not, they weren't going home. They weren't all going home yesterday. Jim Watson said, well, you know, um, people are starting to leave and they've made their point. I'm not sure that they made their point. They, they're staying. Yeah, a lot of people have left. You know, the, the hotels were full all weekend. Uh, the parking lots were full of, of like commercial vehicles, sedans and SUVs and whatnot. Uh, I think a ton of those people have left and gone home. I, I suspect a majority, maybe a large plurality of the crowd um, we're we're within a couple hours drive. I think there was a ton of Quebecers there. I think there's a lot of people from around Ottawa, probably a good chunk from from outside Toronto, and they went home, they went home they went home to go to work on Monday. So I I think you're going to see a clearing out by a ton of the protesters, but obviously you still have a ton of rigs and other uh, vehicles parked on Wellington Street and other parts of downtown. Folks who say they're they're here for the long haul, folks who are sleeping in their cabins. Um, in the rigs, and I think they are preparing for an extended occupation. Now, uh, police in Ottawa have done a really good job of negotiating movements um, within the city core. Um, they've reopened some streets. They've managed to relegate the protesters to a, a smaller and smaller area of downtown, uh, a large strip of Wellington Street right in front of Parliament, a couple other north, uh, north-south streets. It, as it is right now, it's passable. It's not completely choking off the entire city. Um, the Prime Minister and members of Parliament will be able to get to work this morning when Parliament resumes. Um, so I, I think it's manageable for the moment. Ottawa police are suggesting they're trying to negotiate a further moving of the protesters. They're resisting that. They're, they're sharing suggestions on how to stop their trucks from being towed. Um, so there's, there's, there's an opportunity for some conflict here. Um, but you know, more broadly, I don't know what these people do when they find out they're not going to get what they want. I don't know what the next step for them is. Um, and I, I think it's probably a point of concern for, for everybody because you know, these folks are, are emphatic. They're, they're not going to leave. Justin Ling is our guest. Uh, TheDailyBeast.com is where you can wear his, uh, read his latest account of uh, the weekend's activities in Ottawa. He's joining us on Toronto today on 640 Toronto. Um, the the average, the, there's been so much debate about coverage and framing and this image and that image, but you're there. I, 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 I think it's as simple as not everybody came there with ill intent. Not everybody came there with good intent. It's just now we're, we're parsing numbers. It's almost like debating the size of the Trump inauguration and John Spicer saying it's the greatest in history. And some yeah. of the photos say it's not, it's, we're just like, it, I don't want to call it semantics. It is important, but what have you seen? Yeah. So first off crowd estimate, you know, people have been talking about a half a million people, 50,000 trucks, all these ridiculous numbers. It's all nonsense. You know, a very good guess for crowd estimate is 10,000 people. You know, it might be plus or minus a little bit, but 10,000, I think is the number that, I've come to some other media outlets have come to it's a pretty good guess. Now, of that 10,000, what do these people believe? It's really hard to say. You can't do a survey of everyone there. I can tell you the organizers are a real motley crew. You have some folks who identify with QAnon. You have a, a, a guy who used to be involved with the Soldiers of Odin. You have uh, individuals there who have been peddling Islamophobic conspiracy theories. You have a number of people involved who said they want Trudeau arrested and tried for treason and crimes against humanity. So really, you know, some out there figures in the organizers, the folks who have planned everything and collected the money. These are the folks who are behind the, the entire convoy. In the crowd itself, I have no doubt that there are some folks there who care deeply about the mandate, the vaccine mandate for truckers. I think they're a minority. There's a ton of people who don't want 
vaccine mandates for anywhere, anytime at all. And there's a ton of people who are outright anti-vaccine who have been spreading misinformation on stage all weekend. There have been people who have been calling them medical experiments, saying they're unnecessary, ineffective, dangerous. You know, the official line of a ton of the groups at this, at this protest is that vaccines have killed scores and scores of people, which we know is not true. So, and then on top of that, we've seen elements of more extremist movements. You've seen a Nazi flag flying. You've seen folks who are comfortable writing swastikas on their signs. You've seen uh, the flags and the patches to more extremist groups. These folks are probably a minority in the crowd, but they're still represented. So overall, I think it's fair to say this crowd is not representative of the country. They're probably more representative of the voting base of Maxine Bernier's People Party. I think probably yeah. a pretty good way of putting it. Not everyone there is an extremist. Not everyone there is a racist. But everyone there does seem to live in their own little information universe where vaccine skepticism, vaccine hesitancy is really common. We've had a couple conversations this morning um, about the idea that that people feel more certain that there's more Canadians out there that feel politically homeless. Saying all you said about the organizers and, and yeah, it's pretty easy to trace. It's pretty easy to to uh, to, to look at their influences, look at their social media feeds and and put it all together. And I'm not saying that, like, you've done a great job of doing that, but anyone will be able to see what these people think. That said. Is it dawning on more people that there are more people feeling politically adrift? They can't embrace the conservative party. They can't. They're disappointed about liberal inaction. They're just they don't know where to go. I, I know that's the case in this province in Ontario here. I can assure you people don't know what to do or where to go. We're the most locked down uh, province or state in in the continent. And, and it's a right leaning government that's done it. I mean, first off. I'm going to challenge it and say Quebec is the most locked down uh, jurisdiction in the continent because right, we don't here. have curfews. You're right about that. <laughs> you're right. So listen, I, you know, I think partly you're right. You know, I don't feel represented in many respects. I think the lockdowns are, um, you know, the flailings of incompetent governments. Um, I think the lockdowns are, are, are increasingly useless and we need better strategies. And I'm incredibly frustrated watching all of our politicians continue to endorse these lockdowns and curfews. But Here's the thing. I tend to think people are like me where they don't see a credible or coherent alternative. They see the people promising an end to lockdowns and, and, and notice that they tend to ally themselves with anti-vaxxers. You know, at this rally all weekend, there was no shortage of political figures looking to give a home to these people. Randy Hillier, independent MPP, you had uh, Jim Kerry Hallos, the, the true blue party, Derek Sloan, who I think is the Ontario party now. Uh, Maxime Bernier, the People's Party. You, there was actually a couple others as well. You couldn't, you couldn't walk around without tripping over a politician trying to take advantage of this movement. And yet, look at these parties; they are profoundly unpopular. Maxime Bernier is is probably the, probably the top of the heap. He got 850,000 votes in the last federal election, which is impressive for a far right party, but pretty unimpressive when you consider the context of people being as frustrated as they are. So I think you're right. There's a huge, huge uh, chunk of the country, maybe maybe a majority based on some recent polling, who want an end of these lockdowns, who are frustrated with governments who have been unable to manage their health care system and expand health care capacity to handle these, 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 this influx of cases. You know, politicians who have been able to, uh, you know, get a coherent message on masks or booster shots or so on and so on. But I don't think those people are, are looking to go into the embrace of a bunch of vaccine skeptics. So I think this rally in Ottawa is wildly overplaying its hand. I think people are looking at it and seeing the uh, extremist rhetoric, the anti-vaccine rhetoric, um, and are, are saying, no, thank you. We'll, we'll, we'll wait for something else. I so appreciate your time. I got 60 seconds. What kind of tone do you think the prime minister sets today? I, I'd count myself among many that, that thought maybe, maybe he should have been in front of a Zoom screen at some point Saturday or Sunday. What do you expect from him this uh, this late this morning? Yeah, I, I mean, I think he's going to be blunt about uh, the nature of these protesters. I, I think he's um, going to strike a defiant tone. You know, he's not going to let this this group set policy or form, you know, knock him out of power or what have you. Um, I, I, and I think that's kind of the, the tone he's going to have to take. I will say, um, 
you know, he is somewhere in the national capital region. He's at, I, we know where he is. It's at a secure location that all prime ministers go to whenever there's something in the capital that has the potential to get unruly. So he's not far away. He's isolating uh, because one of his kids has COVID-19. Um, and I think he'll keep saying what he's been saying, you know, the majority of the pandemic, which is, you know, these, these measures are necessary. And, um, you know, people who are upset are a, a tiny minority. And he's probably right. You can follow him on Twitter at Justin underscore Ling. And, of course, his work in the Daily Beast uh, today. Justin, throw stuff all weekend. You're one of the best out there. Thank you for doing this for our show. Thanks for having me. But Dr. Suman Chakrabarty, infectious diseases physician at Trillium Health Partners in Mississauga. It is great to have you on. It always is. You shoot straight when it comes to COVID-19. We're talking about boosters a ton, and we're talking about getting them to the people that need them the most. Let's update the audience as to where that is and where you land on it. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I think that uh, the experience that I've gotten over the past year outside of just, uh, you know, just just with uh, media and communications, I understand that, you you know, even if it was the fact that we listen, I, I wrote an article with a couple of my colleagues back in, I think it was uh, June of 2020. We knew right from the get go that we'd never be able to eliminate this thing. But I, I think that, you know, this is quite traumatic for everybody. You don't want to just like pour that onto people right away. But I mean, I think it's now starting to really kind of seep into the language that we can't eliminate this thing, but we can live with it in a way that our life is normal. Uh, we have vaccines. That's what, what's helping us, but it's going to take a bit of time to really kind of uh, dial back that uh, amount of vigilance that we've had over the past two years. I think you hit on it. It feels like a loss. I think we've all suffered some collective defeats in this. Um, and, uh, and, and this one was that once we, once that realization was there, yeah, you're right. Probably for most of us, you probably hit it before me or a lot of our audience did. But several months in, way before a full calendar year in, that seemed patently obvious um, that the virus couldn't be, quote unquote, eradicated. Then I think our our loss was in the summer. We we had a bit of a down note when we started seeing fully vaccinated people have breakthrough cases and then vaccinated people um, be able to to spread the virus to other other vaccinated people. So um, there's yeah, there's there's been a few hits to the to the midsection during this, no question. And, and, you know, I think for me, that part that you mentioned was the thing that was the most disappointing for me. The fact that uh, transmission um, reduction, it's there with the vaccine. I don't hmm. want to deny that. But uh, the extent that's there, it, it's not something that is uh, um, uh, really solid on a population level. I will say one thing, though, Greg, is that uh, it wasn't as much of a hit to a lot of us in ID uh, um, and, and micro and uh, epidemiology who, who talk about this a lot, is that when you see a respiratory virus, the way these things spread, the way our vaccines work, these are not things that you expect to ever um, eliminate. And that's right from the beginning. SARS-1 was a bit of a surprise only because it was uh, more transmissible later on in the illness when it was easily identified. But either way, I think that uh, we're moving into a new phase. And part of that's going to be a big cultural shift from what's happened over the past two years. Dr. Subhan Chakrabarty, our guest. I, I look at the concept as well of uh, of boosters, and I just I, I think we've really got to be pushing more towards that 55 and over group. I, I, I feel like I'm a broken record on this, and we talked about maybe the strategy going from 70 plus right to 18 plus. We made everybody scramble for boosters, scramble for tests. Now there's But now there's an understanding that we've got volume. We've got volume we didn't have six weeks ago when, say, schools got out. I, I can't urge, and I know you can't urge enough people over 50, over 55, that difference in protection from two shots to three is not the same uh, for like, you know, a 20 year old, a 25 year old, but it's, it's of critical importance for people of a certain age. Absolutely. I, I think that the, the thing with the booster is that we have to almost think of it is that um, getting that initial um, robust reaction from the two shots where your immune system says, okay, I get this. It takes three shots for that to work in most people who are over the age of about, let's say 60, mm -hmm. 50 to 60 is a bit of a gray zone and people who have immune compromise, but people who have, um, you know, are younger than, uh, than uh, say 50 who are otherwise healthy, their immune system has formed memory cells from those two shots. So yeah, you know, six months later, if you get exposed, you'll get a cold, but the point is, a long time after that, you're still protected against severe disease. And that's what we care about. You may feel awful with Omicron, but you won't get hospitalized. But the thing is uh, that that uh, protection from the vaccine is there. If you're young and healthy, 
even a year later. And I think that we really need to be uh, pushing that a bit more. But I completely agree for people who are over the age of about, say, 50 to 60, and you have immune compromising conditions, that booster is going to be, uh, that third dose is going to be very helpful. Dr. Suman Chakrabarty on Toronto today on 640 Toronto on this Monday morning. Um, I bring this up as well. I, 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 yeah, I've heard from a couple doctors. You, you, you know, you're working on on the front lines. Sometimes uh, doctors aren't seeing COVID patients. Sometimes they're, you know, the, we're all playing a little bit, a little bit of a of a guessing game as to what will happen next. But I, I've heard from two different doctors that I trust last week. ICUs are our numbers are going to drop, but we still have patients in the ICU, Doctor Chakrabarty that have nowhere to go. It's it, And so that number, I don't want to say it's deceiving. They're important numbers. They're people. But we've got either ICU patients that are still in beds that either can't go to a long-term care home because of maybe a staffing issue or, or an overflow issue. We Home care, that's a real struggle right now is finding you know, qualified bodies and willing bodies um, to, to move people back perhaps to home care. Are these things factors where you are and, and have you heard the same kind of things anecdotally that I have? Well, absolutely. Uh, to, to be fair, though, um, maybe aside from the home care aspect of it, the, the idea of uh, people who are finished the acute part of their care, who are now in hospital waiting to, you know, for recovery, long-term care, rehab, the them not moving has been a perennial issue even before mm-hmm. COVID. So you're absolutely right. That is still an issue. The staffing stuff was huge. I think yeah. that there's already attrition with people burning out and leaving the profession. Uh, but, you know, the mandates did not help. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, across uh, uh, the province, we were seeing pressures there as well. Uh, so, you know, when you put it all together, yeah, we're, we're having uh, the pay, the numbers are going down, but the staffing pressure is still there. So we're going to be dealing with this uh, even after this wave is, is through. Uh, and, you know, look, I, I think that we have a short-term plan of what we need to do, but we need to have a long-term plan to really help our healthcare system and these deficiencies that were always there, but COVID shone a light on it. Um, I'm going to ask you about, uh, there's, there's a lot more conversations in the U- United States now, I feel like, at the education level about masks and where we go and off-ramps for kids, and especially fully vaccinated kids. I've got older kids uh, than you. I know you just added a uh, brand new uh, bouncy member to your family, a third. Um, but I- I'm sure these conversations are there even with even with your oldest children about, um, the, like, the, the mask has a sense of, normalcy to them probably where they go um we're starting to see more conversations about off ramps because i think now the the onus is on those who want to keep them on almost almost i won't say endlessly but but without an off ramp in sight the onus is kind of shifting to them to prove data wise how critical they are and i'm not sure that that they'll be able to do that i know it's a controversial issue where do you stand on it yeah, the, the masks, I think that uh, um, of all the things that we do, uh, it's the thing that's most, most visible. And there's a, there's, I think there's a huge psychological component to, to having that in front of your face. And I, I, first of all, I, I totally get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it certainly does make a, a difference on, on a population level when there's a lot of COVID in the community. We're now getting to the point where, you know, you're starting to see that the numbers are coming down. You're seeing that Omicron, even with masks, even in places where they're just wearing KN95s or equivalents that people are just getting infected. So I think that at this point, for me, uh, in most places, the mask has run its course. I think in certain situations like healthcare, we're probably going to be seeing them from time to, uh, for a long time to come. But, you know, making them uh, mandatory in public at this point, it, to me, is starting to become less and less uh, of a uh, thing that makes sense, especially with 90% of people close to eligible who are vaccinated. And if you look at the highest risk people for hospitalization, it's approaching, you know, 96, 97%. So overall, I think that these these will drop at the point. But I have to say, I understand why people mm-hmm. have trepidations. I know people will keep them after that. But I just don't think we should be forcing everybody to wear them. And I don't think we should have masked kids to begin with. The evidence was never there. Yeah. Um, and in many countries, at least 12 and under uh, did not. I've got a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old. They understand it. They kind of get it. But it, yeah, it, for four or five-year-olds, asking them to wear it 35 hours a week uh, for going on two years now, there better be numbers behind it. The one thing I'd say too is for education workers who now have had these N95s, uh, you know, given to them, Dr. Chakrabarty, is I've talked to so many of them that say, boy, these are different. I feel more emboldened because of it. I don't care if my students are in them. I'm boosted. I've got an N95 mask. I'm good to go. That's for two weeks now. I'm getting constantly flooded by teachers who say that. 
Yeah, it's awesome. The teachers are like, listen, like I am where I am today because of teachers that got me to this point. And I think that, you know, for the teachers, uh, uh, like the teachers that teach my kids, like, you know, feeling confident, having that, uh, if they, that, that's a big part of this, I think, especially, um, uh, you know, as we start to kind of come out of uh, a lot of these precautions, it's going to take some time, but I think that mm-hmm. part of this is be feeling protected and feeling emboldened uh, to do the work. So I think that, uh, you know, either way, I think we should give people, arm people with the tools and the knowledge. And I think that uh, the mask mandate, I feel, will be the last thing to drop. It will. Uh, uh, but I think that the time is coming uh, very soon. You leave me so optimistic uh, for the spring for April and man, know what a tough month it's been. December wasn't uh, wasn't any picnic either. So uh, I think you're given uh, a light at the end of the tunnel uh, for our listeners. And and then we're that much closer to the French Open. And then you and I can you can gloat and I can you know we can see if Djokovic is going to play in there. <laughs> There's so many questions to come over the next. Sounds few like months. he won't. It sounds <laughs> I, it might be 22, Greg. Let's see if 22 for Rafa gets there. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this uh, for our audience, Doctor Chakrabarty. Always appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Take care. Thanks very much for listening to Toronto Today on the podcast. We've got a live show tomorrow for the first day of February on Tuesday. You can check it out uh, between 5.30 and 9 a.m. on 640 Toronto. Go to www.640toronto.com to listen live. And we'll be right back where you found us now tomorrow. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast.